We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Well, again, if you came in, tuned in late a little bit, my name is Pastor Brian. Grateful that you're with us here today. And uh, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, by the time we, we, when we reach Christmas, I'm going to be so ready to take a deep breath and kiss 2020 goodbye. Anybody else? Like, just kiss it goodbye. Oh, my goodness. At home, give me some love on those like buttons. Let me know. Because, I mean, who would have thought that we would be in a year where there would be fistfights for toilet paper... That there would, right, you know, price gouging for hand sanitizers and that going to work in your PJs is encouraged, okay? I'm totally fine with that, by the way. I think I'm going to keep that going no matter what. But that's a world that we live in. And, 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 and frankly, for good or bad or whatever in between, it, it's probably not going to go back to what it was ever again. So as we round the corner and we head for home for 2020, there is a sense of relief and exhaustion all at the same time. Don't you agree? I mean, on the one hand, we are relieved that this year is almost done. But then on the other hand, we're exhausted because of what we went through. We were just exhausted. I mean, if 2020 had held up its end of the bargain and being the year of perfect sight, we would have seen all this coming. But no, 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 no. Somewhere along the way in 2020, it got like a cataract and the whole year got all cloudy. We don't even know what's going on anymore, you know? From COVID and racial unrest and the downturn in the economy. The Dodgers won the World Series. I mean, the whole thing fell apart, you know. All of it came unexpectedly, uninvited. So many things. So many things happened we never saw coming. So as we kind of come into Christmas, it's only natural to look back and reflect. I mean, we reflect on what we went through, what we lost, what we gained, what we missed out on, what we wish would have happened. Guys, listen, for Team Hunt, my family, I'll tell you what, we are not immune to this either. We've missed out. We missed out on our our trip back to Chicago, our family vacations, volleyball and, and baseball tournaments, school outings, award ceremonies, dance performances. We we missed out on a bunch, so much more. And so after a year like this, you can't help but take inventory about everything that happened, to, 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 to look back. It's the reflection that we always do at the end of the year anyway. But this year, we can't help spend a little bit more time on it. Because in the words of the timeless Ricky Ricardo from I Love Lucy, 2020, you got some splaining to do, right? You know what I'm talking about? we got to figure it out. But here's the interesting part about reflection. Reflection is actually good. It gives us a moment to pause, to to look back on what's happened, to consider how it has affected us, and and to contemplate what's to come. You, You see, if we get so caught up in the tyranny of the now, we can miss all the lessons from the past to get us ready for the future. Except I kind of always think it's funny that when we look back or reflect, we usually say things like this, don't we? We think like, I can't believe I used to do, right? Or I did what? You know, you're you're thinking back in your life. I mean, all of us that look back at our lives and questions the clothes that we have wearing, right? You know, like decisions we've made, relationships you got into, you know, job choices, even hairstyles. I mean, what was I thinking? You know, like whatever. 
But beyond just the embarrassing critique, we also reflect on what we've accomplished too, haven't we? We'll say things to ourselves like, I can't believe I survived. I never thought that we would ever accomplish. Like, what an incredible time when I did. See, reflection gives us a great opportunity to consider both the regrets and the great parts of our life. This is one of the reasons I love Christmas so much. Christmas gives us a a natural annual moment to do just that. Because at Christmas, we push that elusive pause button and we reflect. Except what I want us to do this year is not just reset for the next year. We we need to do more. Because I want you to think of this way. that, That we can't move forward until we appreciate where we've been. Let that sink in for a moment. We can't move forward until we appreciate where we've been. So so what I want us to do is to consider not only what happened to us this year, but what happened at the first Christmas all those years ago. And more importantly, why it should matter. Like, why should all this matter to us? And as we look at the reflections of Christmas, we not only get to consider what the original characters might have kind of gone through, which we'll do that, But we also reflect on what does this story mean for us? What does it mean for me? How does looking back on Christmas and reflecting on it help us to see clearer for our present and our future? And listen, I know it can be hard to look back. I I know it can be so much easier to just forget about it all and move on to the next thing. It's natural. It's natural to want to do that so that we can distract ourselves from what we went through. So I know it can be hard. But I'm going to ask us not to miss a minute of reflection this year. Because reflection may just be exactly what we need to take the next right steps towards God. So as we think about and we reflect on this Christmas story, I want us to start in a specific place in the Bible. Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, Crossroads Grace apps, open up to Matthew chapter 1. Chatos, a perfect time to put that link in there so people can go right to it. Matthew chapter 1. And, and if you're not a Christian with us here today, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you're with us and you're joining us wherever you're at. But I'm willing to bet by the time that we're done here today that you'll resonate with a lot of what we'll touch on. You may even find out some things about Jesus that you've never even considered before. Maybe you've never heard before. Because today, what I want us to do, week one, I want us to look back on Jesus' family tree. Now, um, has anyone done one of those Ancestry DNA surveys before? Throw me a comment in there if you have. Anybody Ancestry DNA? You know, I'm talking about like when you, you spit in that little tube, you know, or they cotton swab the inside of your cheek, you know. And then you send it in, and six weeks later they tell you where all your ancestors are from, and it gives you an excuse because that's the way that you are. You have a reason why you're the way that you are, you know. I've never been able to do that before. I'm totally looking forward to it. But all the people that have, they said, that's pretty cool. You get to learn about the the places that you came from, and you might not even realize that you were this part, whatever. Now, if if Jesus were to take an Ancestry.com survey, you would never guess that the Savior of the world came from where he came. Or, or from the people that he came from. And Matthew paints this vivid picture of, of the people that litter the branches of Jesus' family tree. If Matthew chapter 1. Let's do this together. Let me read this to you. It says this. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Ibijav. Ibijav, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconi and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconi was the father of Shetil. Shetil, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Elikim. Elikim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zodak. Zodak, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who called him the Messiah. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, indeed. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you try it, okay? Whatever, okay? Now, why go all through that? Why would I do that? Well, well, as we begin to reflect on the Christmas story, we have to understand why the author would go through all this family tree trouble to begin with. And if you aren't familiar with your Bible at all, or you fell asleep in church growing up like I did, you know what I mean? You did. It's okay. The first four books of the New Testament, we should understand, are, are the, the, the New Testament is the part of the Bible where Jesus was alive in his ministry and the part afterward. Now, the first four, part, four books of the Bible, those are called the Gospels of the New Testament. They're the accounts of Jesus' life. And only in this book called Matthew do we find that it is the detailed description of Jesus' family tree. But, but why? Well, well, Matthew, interestingly enough, was a tax collector in his former life, which is crazy. But he's writing this gospel to a Jewish audience, which means that he's writing it to religious people. And the Jews knew that the Messiah, who's the one that would come to save the world, had, had to come out of a particular family line. And he had to come out of a family line from the guy by the name of David. Now, David was a famous king in the Old Testament. Now, that's the part of the Bible before Jesus came. And David was a man after God's own heart. And it was promised that through his family line, through David's family line, the Savior of the world would come through. So Matthew takes the time to look through all the record books. He traces all of Jesus' family and he sees that it, he goes all the way back from Abraham through David until he gets to Joseph, who's Jesus' earthly father. He traces it all. And he wanted to make sure that everyone could see that Jesus came from David's line. And, and you might be saying right now, well, well, that's fantastic, right? Good for you, Matthew. You're able to go down and trace Jesus' family tree. Why in the world should we reflect on any of that? Great question. I'm going to explain that. That's why we're here. Thank you. Right? So, so let me ask, does anyone, does anyone have a part of your family that you're, uh, how do I say it, um, you're not thrilled with them. Anybody have anybody like that in their family? You know, like, right, don't point to them. That's embarrassing right now, you know. 
like that awkward person at the dinner, dinner table that you never know what they're going to say. It's going to come out of their mouth, you know. Or maybe it's the single person in your family that every year a new date comes and it's more drama on top of drama. Or, or, or maybe you're just like, maybe you're just a flat out jerk to everyone and you're worried that maybe his hus- her husband's going like, to like beat you up in the middle of dinner sometime. You know what I'm talking about? They're the people you'd rather watch the movie versions of the musical Cats on replay all day than endure a holiday with them. You know, we all have them. And if you're saying to yourself right now, I don't know what this dude's talking about. My family doesn't have anyone like that in my entire family. You are them. It's you, okay? I'm just saying, okay? Every family's got one. But then, then there are those serious reasons you may have problems with your family. Maybe your uncle struggles with addiction and his life is a mess. Maybe your aunt did some jail time. Maybe your parents can't stand your brother because they took advantage of your elderly grandparents financially. Like, like these are the serious blights on your family name. And, and honestly, I bet that if you had the ability to, you might just want to erase them altogether so that nobody knew about them. See, this is where the list from Matthew is, is so amazing as you reflect on it. Because you would think, That if you were Matthew and you're trying to convince a bunch of hardcore religious people that Jesus was the Messiah, he was the king of kings, he's the one sent to save the world from sin, that you would make sure that this list was so clean you could eat off of it. You'd hide all the scars of anything less than perfect, anything less than perfect people that would put a blemish on the royal name. Can anyone say Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? Hello, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like you want to get rid of that. That isn't what Matthew did though. Matthew makes sure to highlight all the imperfections in the, line of, line, the, the lineage of Jesus. And there's so many that we could unpack. So many imperfections in here. But let's just look at a few of them today. Okay, for instance, let's start with this one. Uh, the guy by the name of Judah, he, it says that Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah. Now Judah was one of 13 brothers. He had one sister. Their father was named Jacob. But Jacob broke all the dad rules that you're supposed to do. And he liked one kid more than the other. And he told everybody about it. The the kid's name was Joseph. And Jacob loved Joseph so much that he gave him special treatment. Bought him a different wardrobe. Caused the brothers to become super jealous of Joseph. Because Jacob loved him so much. They became so jealous of him that they beat him up. Threw him in a well, only later to sell him into Egyptian slavery, then go home to their father and lie to him that he was dead. That's our Judah. That's that's the one who is part of the premeditated attempted murder and sale of his own brother into slavery, Judah. But Judah, he's in Jesus' family tree. Well, Well, how about this one? Uh, the name is Tamar. It says Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, Judah finds himself in this story too. But now it's connected with this woman named, named Tamar. Tamar's story, Tamar's story is sad, but it also has this survivalist moment to it as well. And, and what I'm going to walk through here for just a couple minutes, you can't use modern day culture to understand. 
You, you have to place yourself in the middle of the culture when it's happening to understand the entirety of all the things that are taking place. So Tamar was the wife of Judah's first son, whose name was Ur, E-R, Ur. But Ur was a wicked, 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 no good dude, right? And so, so bad that God killed him. It's like, oh, you're done, Ur. So after Ur's death, and in accordance with the custom, Judah uh, then instructed his other son, Onan, to sleep with Tamar so that she could have a son and continue Ur's family name. So this would have been the equivalent of, of Tamar becoming married to Onan. That was what was happening. Because having a son is very important. It was very important to the respect of the family line, but also to Tamar's safety and security. Without a son, Tamar would have had no family of her own and would have not been supported and probably would have been in a lot of danger without that. Well, Onan apparently wasn't interested in helping his deceased brother so he actually made sure that Tamar never got pregnant. Crazy little nugget in the Bible, if you ever want to read it. It's in there, but how he did it. But, but this also, the fact that Onan didn't do this, it also made God mad. And so Onan died too. Right? So, so far, Tamar is 0 for 2 for Judah's sons. So she ain't doing pretty good. So at this point, Judah is not really pumped about giving another son to Tamar. His name is Shelah. So instead of pledging to marry her off to his, her other son, Shelah, he decides to come up to Tamar and say, hey, I want you to become a widow. I'm going to send you off to your father's household. He says, I'm going to have you stay there until my son, Shelah, is old enough, and then you can marry him. Well, time passes. And one day, after Judah's wife dies, Judah came to the area where Tamar was actually living to shear some sheep that he had. But he had long since forgotten about Tamar. Judah had no intentions of giving Shelah to become to be married to her at all. So not wanting to be alone or endanger her entire life, Tamar decides to do something about it. So here's what she does. She takes off of all her widow clothes and then she disguises. Actually, she dresses up as a prostitute. And then she waits for Judah to enter the city to come shear the sheep. Well, Judah takes the bait. That's right. Comes up to Tamar. And, 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 and Tamar actually says, here's the only payment that I will take from you to be able to sleep with me. He says, I want your seal, your cord, and your staff. What in the world does this mean? Here's what this is the equivalent of somebody giving somebody else their social security card, their ATM password, and their birth certificate. Right? These are the things that only could have belonged to Judah. The only person that could have had them. Well, lo and behold, Tamar becomes pregnant. Oh, look at that, right? And Judah finds out about it. Well, all of a sudden, Judah's all mad. He's offended that one of his daughter-in-laws is promiscuous. So here's what he does. He orders that she is burned to death. Judah's a good dude, right? right? Just burn her to death is what he says. Well, Tamar, she's shrewd. And so when it came time for her to die, she sends a message to Judah. We read about it in, in the book of Genesis. In fact, it's, it's Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38, starting in verse 25, it says, As she, that's Tamar, is being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. So Tamar goes Mori Povich on Judah and says, You are the father, right? And she shows the proof, right? 
look at these, Judah. Judah's like, dude, I got nothing. This is what he says. He says, Judah recognized them, shocking, and said, she's more righteous than I. Yes, she is. Since I wouldn't give her my son, Shelah, and he didn't sleep with her again. Way to go, Judah, right? But Tamar was pregnant, and she gives birth to two sons by the name of Perez and Zerah. Crazy, right? But, but Tamar, she's in Jesus' family. All right, let's check this one out. Give me one more, right? Give me this one. Uh, look, let's look at Rahab. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, we read about Rahab in, in, in this book called Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 is where it's at. And here we find in Joshua chapter 2, the people of God are on the brink of entering what's called the promised land. Now, this is a land that God had promised his people for over 40 years after getting them out of Egypt. And after a small transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua, it's time for the people to begin their entry into the destiny that was, that was called for them in their land. But before they do this, Joshua, being the savvy military leader that he was, he decides, I'm going to go check some things out first. So here's what happens as we read in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So these two spies, they go to check out the land and they end up hiding in all the places that you could possibly find a prostitute's house whose name is Rahab. Well, the king of Jericho, who's the land that they were in, he heard about these spies, he comes looking for them. But instead of ratting them out, Rahab the prostitute lies to the government and says, I don't know where they went to. She then hides the two men under the stalks of flax that make up her roof and other, under the shingles of the house is where these men end up hiding. And after the king's men had left, she tells them, hey, listen, you're safe. And then after that, she describes her faith, her knowledge of God and how he, she knows that the hand of God is on God's people. And these two spies were blown away. They're like, oh, my goodness. And after this, Rahab says this. This is so cool. Look at verse 12. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men answered her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So Rahab promises, this, promises the men. And she actually lets them down and they, they go off into freedom. And the men were true to her, their word. And when the people of God took over the land, they spared Rahab and her entire family. Guys, that's like, that's like pretty woman and Jason Bourne matched up together in Hollywood. That's cool. It's in the Bible. Read this thing. Super cool stuff in there. You got to do it. But Rahab, the prostitute, is in the family line of Jesus. And these are just a few Judah, Tamar, Rahab. We didn't have time to talk about David and Bathsheba. Oh my goodness. Talk about some drama there. But believe me when I say this. You look through that whole thing. All of them have a less than stellar track record. All have stories that would, they would like to forget. All of them have cringe-worthy moments in their life. But all of them are in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So how does Jesus come out of a family like that?
Well, before I answer that, let's just come back to you and I again. Knowing our history can be exciting. I mean, it's exciting to find out that your great-great-great-grandfather was the first trapeze artist in the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Like, that's really cool, okay? Or that your great-great-great-great-cousin 45 times removed was the barber of President George Washington. You know, I mean, that's all fun stuff. When it gets harder and more personal is when you find out hard things about your family that the websites don't necessarily want you to know. Perhaps you come from a long line of addicts that have destroyed their lives over the years. Maybe you see a pattern of divorce that dates back decades. There may be cultural stigmas that cause you to even cringe today. And as you reflect on your family history, you, you might be asking yourself the same question that we asked of Jesus. How did I come from a family like that? But this is why Jesus is so amazing. And also why Christmas is so amazing. It, it wasn't that Jesus spent his life making excuses for all the broken branches in his family tree. You never once see him say that. But he focuses his life and his mission to the men and women that were just like them. See, Jesus is always coming for the broken because he came from the broken. Just like new growth can come out of a broken branch from an actual tree, there can actually be new growth that comes out of us if we are grafted to Jesus. Jesus came to bring new growth out of broken things through him. Jesus says this in Revelation 21.5. He says that he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Everything is new. The prophet Isaiah would say that God brings beauty from ashes. And Paul would say this about, about those that follow Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, that is something to praise God about. This is why when we reflect on the broken family tree of Jesus that came to earth through broken people, that we see that God can always use the broken branches of our life to start something new, a new life in Him. No matter where you came from, no matter what you've come from, no matter who you've come from, Jesus can make something beautiful out of your broken life. What a message for us to hear this year. As we look around at all the broken world that seems to be all but lost, we need this message more than ever before. We need the freshness of Jesus to fall on us as we reflect at Christmas. Guys, it means that, that, that Jesus' broken family proves he can still heal our broken world. He can. Reflecting on Jesus' family gives us hope that Jesus is still growing new life out of the brokenness of this world. He did that at Christmas. He did that through a life lived with love and grace. He did that on the cross. He did that through the empty tomb. He did that by defeating death and loving us when we were unlovable. He did that for you. He did that for me 
he's still doing it today. My friends, when we come to this time of communion to remember what Jesus did for us, help us never, ever forget that Jesus is always coming for the broken. That's you and me. Because he came from the broken. Friends, you are never too far from Jesus. Just because your family might have some broken branches doesn't mean that he can't take those branches and graft it to himself and grow new life. That's what the cross is all about. It's about freedom from sin. It's about new life. It's about his love. So I don't know how you walked in here today, how you logged in here today, but my prayer for you is the same, is that you would remember that Jesus still takes broken things, makes them come alive through his love, through his grace, through his forgiveness. So as we prepare our hearts for communion and we worship, might that wash over you. Might you always remember that. No matter where you came from, Jesus can heal your brokenness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts now to, to worship, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we think about our lives and we think about the broken, broken mess that our lives are usually in, maybe the broken family that we came from, God, we just are so grateful, Jesus, that you didn't come from a long list of aristocrats that were perfect and never did anything wrong, but that you came from a very broken family tree. But yet out of that brokenness, you made healing and forgiveness possible. And so we thank you for that. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.